Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jonathan, and our worship musicians for leading us so well. Yeah, we so appreciate and need that. And congratulations to you all. You didn't let that one hour you lost uh, mess you up. So congratulations. You've started the new time zone well. You've made the right decision. So, uh, and for the many extra people joining us on live stream, there is grace for you also in your pajamas <laughs> and wherever you are. Uh, but we're in this series on love revolution. Uh, you guys know that the Eve all there is love spelled backwards, <laughs> right? And, and so what this series celebrates is that love is the only force that really changes anything. Uh, other things might restrain evil, might repress it, but love is the only thing to really absolutely transform it, and that's what God has called us to, and we've been looking at all of the different challenges and relationships, but we've tended to look at the, uh, the pleasant ones. I, w- I want to celebrate one great thing in our family. Uh, just a week ago, my daughter Naomi was proposed to by a great man, Joshua Schaefer, and man, he, he pulled it off, and uh, you know, it's celebrated when you love the one who's proposed to your daughter, you gain a son. You know, when you don't, then you got issues. But, uh, <laughs> but we love this young man, and we love them together. And when, uh, when he is with us, and we've gone on vacation together, we get more of our daughter. Cause, and you know, it's just, that's right in a relationship. But um, we've looked at relationships like this. This is a, you know, a covenant that you choose. Marriage is this covenant relationship that has a lifetime warranty, and the Bible says choose carefully. <laughs> but at least you choose it. And then there's relationship with our children who we just love, you know, and, and want the best for. But then there's relationships that you didn't choose. <laughs> and that you wish if you could, like you would take your exacto knife and cut them out of your life or your workplace, or they're just difficult. Or maybe you, you did choose them at one point, but now it's devolved into a situation that is just really tough to deal with. And we're going to begin looking at some of those relationships uh, this morning and in a couple weeks. Uh, and we're going to talk about when you're in a relationship with a fool. And the Bible has a definition for a fool as someone who just, they're beyond the point of listening, not beyond the point of redemption, but you've already had the conversations. Uh, In the 1980s, uh, in 1980, uh, Mount St. Helens was not an unexpected eruption. And there were a few individuals who, despite the warnings of like, you know, multiple feet of hot lava washing over the mountain, determined they were not going to evacuate. (laughs) Uh, And one famous guy, his name was actually Harry Truman. He was in his 80s, and he became kind of like the the poster, not child, poster (laughs) octogenarian for this. And he did all these media interviews and said, I've lived 83 years on this mountain, and I'm not leaving. And so when eventually it blew, and and like there were like literally yards of ash that just covered and asphyxiated everybody, I don't think his body was found. There were were like four others who were like, we're staying (laughs) But he was like the poster child of the one who's heard all the warnings, collected all the data, and instead of adjusting their life to the data, they adjust the data to their life situation. And that is the personification of what it means to be a fool. And so in the Bible, there's an actual technical category of what it means to be a fool. And we're going to look at at what Proverbs says about this, but we know that category. Like we say, a fool and his money are soon parted, right? Or we say, fool me once, shame on Fool me twice, shame on, right? And so it's, it's repeated patterns of behavior. And, and Proverbs 10 is one of the places, but throughout the book it talks about the person who's positioned themselves to be a fool. So let's read it and then dig into how to love that person and how to get out of it when we ourselves are playing that role. It says, the wise of heart will receive commandments, but a babbling fool will come to ruin. 
So notice the pattern, not listening, babbling. <laughs> Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Whoever winks the eye causes trouble, and a babbling fool will come to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Hatred stirs up strife, but love covers all offenses. On the lips of him who has understanding, wisdom is found, but a rod is for the back of him who lacks sense. The wise lay up knowledge, but the mouth of a fool brings ruin near. And then 12 verse 15, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. And here's the, here's the telltale signs of the difference between a fool and a wise person. And I don't want you to think of this category and then think of how you can cut people out of your life. Because here's the reality. We all at different times and in different ways play the fool. And right now, for every one of us, there's certain things that we are playing the fool to because we just don't want to hear the data and we don't want to heed the data. And, and so instead of adjusting to the light, we want to adjust the light to us. We all play that, but some people make a career out of it. And there's a pattern that just is deeply entrenched. But the, the overall trait of, of the wise person is they listen to feedback. You know, you don't get better at life and you don't get better at doing life by just experience. You know, you don't become a better athlete just by playing or a better musician just by playing. You'll just practice the same mistakes. You need somebody to give you feedback uh, you become better when you have someone who is coaching you. Um, you know, you, you can, the, uh, I hope I'm always trying to improve in all realms. So the saddest thing is like someone who's a, who's a preacher, an athlete, a musician, and like they, they work so hard and they have made zero progress because they don't take in any feedback. I, I was at a recital once, and there, there was this woman, it was actually a piano recital, which may tell you, she was a vocalist, so, and she was singing, and she was so proud of the fact that she had taken lessons for decades, but evidently she had not heeded any of the advice. So she was just practicing the same mistakes, and she had not made progress. And here, the, the, the fool doesn't listen to feedback. The wise person appreciates feedback. Uh, the trait of, of the fool is to bluster, to either fight or flight in, the, in terms of feedback. They will either fight you and bluster, and so it's not worth the whole drama in the scene, or you know that like they're just a sensitive soul, and if you tell them anything, they will just dissolve. But, but the wise person thanks you for it. The wise person says, hey, you know, when you said you cringed when I said that thing I said in that group, thank you for giving me that feedback. I didn't know I came off that way. And I needed someone to tell me. So it, like, it moves a little bit beyond. Like, like last week, Rob preached a great sermon on friendship and about how you, the friend is the person who tells you you got broccoli in your teeth. Yeah, it reaches a new level when they tell you like, hey, um, you know, that mouthwash didn't work or your deodorant failed. You know, like the, you know, the hygiene things. There's only certain people who probably have the intimacy with you to tell you. But when they tell you that and you're wise, you're like, hey, that person really cares for me. They're, they're willing to cross that awkward bridge of conversation because they care more about my future than my feelings in the moment. And so the wise person appreciates that. They appreciate somebody telling them how their behavior or their hygiene or whatever has harmed someone else. They don't deny or deflect. They don't minimize. The foolish person, when you talk to them about the problem, the problem is never in the same room. It's always someone else. It's always a circumstance. It's always something else to point out. The fool always rejects feedback. Even if many people are bringing it to their attention, they resist, deny, explain it away. 
blame it on the weather, get mad, or should they shoot the messenger? <laughs> That's what the fool does. That's why the Bible actually has some instruction that's unique for us. I mean, generally, faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? And so we want friends. But it tells you, if you're dealing with a fool, stop talking to them about this. Stop having this circular conversation with them. And so Proverbs 9 says, do not rebuke a mocker or they will hate you. <laughs> rebuke the wise and they will love you for it. Uh, it says uh, that the fool it, it will turn on you. Uh, Jesus spoke to this when he said, do not cast your pearls before swine lest they trample you. Like there's, there's certain people like you've had the conversation and they're going to turn on you uh, or they're just going to cycle back. They're going to either bluster and blow up or they're going to uh, act all hurt and retreat and, and all of this. Um, the fool can't take the data in. The sensible see danger, Proverbs 27 says. The sensible see danger and take cover. The foolish keep going and are punished. Um, so, I, I wanna be clear on this. It doesn't mean the fool is stupid. The fool actually may be the smartest person in the room, may be the smartest person in your company. It could be someone who works for you. It could be someone you're in a relationship with. It could, be your, it could be your boss, but in terms of receiving feedback, I mean, there are bosses like this that are fools and everybody is just a sycophant, right? They have to all like suck up to them because if anybody tells them of a contrary wind, they, they just are gonna blow up. That's, that's foolish behavior. Um, because they're not responsive to feedback, to legitimate feedback. Now, now here's the reality. We tend to think that everybody, if, if you're a person who wants to grow, if you're a person who says, I, I want to improve, you tend to think that everybody is like you. <laughs> and here's the reality. Not everybody is. And here's the reality. Even, even ourselves, we're not like that in all compartments. There are just some areas we don't want to hear about, <laughs> and even though we need to. Uh, and, and so the wise person receives feedback. Now look, there are some people who give you feedback because they want to destroy you. We're going to talk about them in another week. The evil person who just comes to, to beat you down. I uh, was reading about uh, one guy and he said that he had a neighbor who had it out for him. And so the neighbor actually um, called the police and filed a complaint against him for animal cruelty. And he's like, police knock at his door. He says, animal cruelty, like this Labrador that I'm raising is the most pampered pup in the United States. I mean, like, what did they say? And they said, well, sir, they said that you are failing to feed this animal and also you don't pick up its poop. And he said, officer, you're gonna have to choose between one of those two things. I don't feed the animal, it doesn't poop. If it poops, I'm feeding the animal. Like, like this, this doesn't make sense. And, and, and so there are some people unfortunately, whose feedback is hostile and it doesn't make sense. But here's the reality. The wise person will try to extract maybe some piece of wisdom even in that perception and in how to manage that. So the foolish person is always saying, that person delivered this in a harsh way. I'm not listening. Well, you know, the, the, if you're wise, then okay, they didn't deliver it in a wise way, but is there any wisdom in what they said? Now, I'm not saying, if, if you're delivering something, be tender, be loving, build a bridge, use tact, put yourself in their situation. But if someone brings you something, then there may be something to profit. And the wise person is always sifting through, looking for something that they can profit from. Um, a wise person receives correction and grows from it. But a fool, when the truth comes to them, they try to change the truth instead of changing themselves. Um, when truth presents itself, the wise person brings it to the light, makes adjustment. The fool tries to adjust the truth. 
so that they do not have to adjust to it. A fool never believes that it's any fault resting upon them. And again, uh, a fool may be the most charming, fluently conversational person in the room. Uh, they're, they're actually happy to be talking about it and about the problem because while they're talking about it, um, they can still stall it and not take any responsibility for it. And so Proverbs 17 verse 10 is another place where it says, a rebuke goes deeper into a person of understanding than a hundred blows into a fool. They just won't listen and move. And so Proverbs 26 says, a whip for the horse, a bridle for the donkey, and a rod for the back of fools, not words. And it says, answer not a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him yourself. And so here's the problem. You have someone who won't listen, won't listen, won't listen. If you just keep having that same old conversation, you're going to be just brought down to the same level of the fool because you're having that, you're just running laps. Uh, and, and so it says, don't answer them according to that, lest they be wise in their own hands. And then, and then, then it's interesting, it says, but answer a fool uh, it, uh, according to his folly, or don't answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. And then it says, sometimes you have to answer them so they not be wise, but it's not always with words. And so this is not saying that you and I stop loving them, but it just says that your love has to assume a different direction. You know, the mark, again, of a, of a wise person, of a wise leader, of a person who's safe to be around, a person who's safe to be in relationship about them, is that they are confrontable. If someone is not approachable, if someone is not a confrontable, if someone is blusters with any kind of input, then that's not a safe person. It's not a good leader. Uh, and, and so, again, that boundary is so key. The, the sad thing is that uh, many of us come to Christ because we are sinners, and then we spend the rest of our lives trying to pretend that we're not. We're not in need of correction. But, but the truly healthy person, they're, they're confrontable. They want to grow. They trust the wounds from a friend. Uh, they trust the wounds that come to them as an opportunity to grow. And, and they're not dragged kicking and screaming for their own good. And, and again, here's the reality. Not only are there people who fall into this and people who make careers out of it, there are different compartments of our life that we're not just open, even though there are warning signs that we better pay attention. And there are times where we've got to confront that resistance. So what do we do when we're not just having the same old conversation? What we've got to do is we've got to, we've got to amplify the consequences because the conversation's not working. So this can be in trivial things or it can be in serious things. So um, it's like the common thing a parent says, hey, you know, I sent my child to Penn State and uh, they flunked out the first year and um, the second year didn't go any better. And so the third year I, I decided the dorm life is bad for them because they're doing nothing but rolling kegs down the hall and blowing the whole weekend uh, in a haze. Uh, and the weekend starts on Tuesday. So the third year I bought them a condo to get them out of the dorm. <laughs> And uh, I really want them to come talk to you, pastor, but they won't talk to you because they don't have a problem. And I'm like, yeah, they don't have a problem. They really don't. I mean, they're being funded for a free-for-all life, right? It seems like you have the problem. <laughs> what, me have the problem? Yeah, you're funding this. And you're tiring yourselves out by conversation. You've got to somehow make the consequence real to them. You have a problem, and when you start solving your problem, they will start having a problem, and you won't have a problem. <laughs> You see, and that's, that's what Proverbs said, and that's not, that's not ceasing to love someone that is bringing love home to them so that they have the opportunity to change. That's love. 
Um, and, and so we, we sometimes have it, like the person who's, who's diabetic and says, man, I just can't resist that bowl of ice cream at night. It's been my habit for years and years and years. You know, they need someone to help bring that consequence. You're going to have that argument with them or someone, someone in addiction. And, and the problem is they don't see the problem. They're not aware of what it's doing to them. And the more you have a conversation with them, the, the longer you are simply enabling it. And so when a spouse says to an alcoholic or an addict, you need to go to AA, there's a sense in which it's not true. They don't need to go to AA. They're, they are, at the moment, they're feeling okay. The addict doesn't feel any need to do that. So you've got to make the consequence real. And so you say, hey, as long as you're clinging to this addiction, I'm moving out. I'm not going to continue in relationship with you. I want to have a relationship with you, uh, but I'm not going to continue and watch you destroy yourself. I'm not doing that. And all of a sudden, the addict feels like, I need to get some help or I'm going to lose this relationship. And, and so the consequence has become real. And you don't just cycle into that fruitless conversation that leads everybody stressed out. So with a child, you say like, hey, um, you're bringing the car home and it's got no gas. You're driving it into the driveway and it's on fumes. And you have that conversation three or four times. And then you say, hey, you know what? The next time you do that, um, we're not going to have that conversation again. It'll just be no keys for the next week. Like, so because you're in that endless cycle. Or you say, you know, clean your room, clean your room, clean your room. You've had that conversation and then you need to elevate the consequence. You need to say, hey, the consequence for that... <laughs> is gonna be something that will bring it home to you. And so uh, change requires there to be consequences. And again, we're all foolish about certain things. Here's the reality, we are. And so we, we fall into these ruts and these routines and maybe it's God having the conversation or we're having the conversation and we just do not get over it. Do not go. We've got to bring something that elevates the truth. The truth is still the truth, but we say, I'm doing the same thing. That's the definition of insanity, right? To do the same thing over and over again and expect different results. And so what you do is you say, okay, I'm, I'm gonna join Weight Watchers. I'm gonna um, go on loseit.com and I'm gonna, I'm gonna in a online community where nobody even knows me, I'm gonna record my intake, right? Because I can't outrun my fork. I just can't do it. Um, or whatever you wanna do, but you somehow make the consequence real and you say, I'm gonna reward myself for staying on my diet, hopefully not with a you know, double big Sunday at Dairy Queen, but I'm gonna reward myself in some way. I'm gonna make it real. I'm gonna invite an accountability partner. I'm gonna bring someone else into this situation because I want the truth of what I'm doing to come home to me. And so um, you bring those consequences together. And I want to I want to close with just three areas that I want to highlight some ways that we can do this. The first one is that we changing requires urgency. Our problem, the reason we don't change is often because we delay change. We need urgency. Uh, we're wired for consistency and we like to settle in, just like our metabolism likes to settle in, our whole being likes to settle in to a comfortable position. We are all resistant to ch making changes when there's no reason to make it. And so we don't feel the urgency. And so, you know, if you're comfortable in this room this morning and I say, get up and take a jog and take a run, you probably would resist doing it. You don't wanna do it and it's yucky outside. But if I tell you the building is on fire, I bet you a lot of you get moving. Because all of a sudden, you've got a reason to run. You're a lot more motiv motivated. We make changes when we feel the pain of staying wh where we are is going to be greater than the pain of making the change moving toward it. And where you and I become fools, and again, we all have these places, is because we have grown comfortable 
and, and we aren't seeing things correctly. And so to get our brain to change, we've got we've to find the urgent button. And this is true in even the most important as well as the more small elements of our life. You know, the most important thing that we need to do with our lives is come to Christ. And I often feel this, and I felt this in some conversations I've had with people who've been attending covenant for a while and at discovering and uncovering for the first time the message of who Jesus is. And, and I think some can reach this danger point where they've grown comfort with learning and discovering and they're not deciding and choosing. And the Bible says that's a dangerous place to be because every day that you have understood the call of Christ to come as you are, you know, you don't have to have anything really figured out. You're not supposed to clean up your life first. You're supposed to come to Jesus. He said, come to me when you're weary and heavy laden. Come when your sins are like scarlet and you haven't done anything to atone or improve or done anything. He says, come, come now, come on my terms. And so some people are like, well, you know, I want to, I need to check this out and I want to understand this better and I want to, you know, and so you delay and delay and delay. And you know what the problem with delay is? Is every day you delay, you were just creating another beachhead uh, of past experience that says, I can live without Christ. I can live without him at the center of my being. And it's a dangerous place to delay coming to Christ. I think the, the, it's a foolish thing. Not only because you might die in an accident this weekend, which is true, you might, but it's that your heart will become hardened and you'll, you'll use another day of resisting Christ or not deciding is really to make the decision to say no. There is no neutral ground. And that's the most important one. But every day we delay that decision to do what is the spiritually right or even the physically healthy thing for ourselves, we are just building into the status quo, which is not okay. Every day we, we continue in that relationship that needs to be addressed with the truth. We're just teaching ourselves to linger there into an atmosphere that is not pleasing to God. And so we create that beachhead, and so we need to create urgency. So how do you create urgency? Play out the movie. Do you want to feel this same way and be in this position one year from now? <laughs> A lot of times priests will say, well, I can put up with it. In the day-to-day, -day, you may be able to numb yourself. And, but thinking about it long-term, and you say, oh, I can't imagine another Christmas in this dysfunctional situation that's not been addressed. Oh, I won't live if I have to do that. Well, then do something about it today. Uh, and, and so when you play it forward, you kind of unearth the lies and you make, you amplify the reality of the situation that you've been avoiding. And you not only say, how will it feel for another day, but how will you feel if you, if you just settle into this a year from, how will you feel if this is the storyline of your life? And you say, well, they, they lived in this kind of fruitless situation and it never was addressed uh, and so urgency, because God is for you. That's why he brings the urgent. He wants you to feel it is urgent. Don't delay. Delaying is not just delaying. Delaying is saying no, and you'll get good at saying no because it will make you just settle into a comfortable but wrong situation. Secondly, after creating that sense of urgency, one thing that will help you move toward it is to create a compelling vision for the future. That vision has to be set on audio, not video. This is the reason we often don't make changes is our status quo is on video and the future is this 
is just audio and we don't really see it concretely. And so one of the ways, sometimes when people need to make a move, I knew somebody who needed to downsize and they were, they were dreading doing it and they didn't want to uh, either get rid of the useless things in the attic and boxes stored away or they didn't want to give up the yard and, and, and yet they've got arthritic and rheumatoid joints and they're pushing a push mower and they're, they're dealing with all the maintenance and whatever. And, and then they visited the place that would relieve them of all that. And all of a sudden, when it was just conceptual, they couldn't let go of a situation that was just basically driving them nuts. But once they saw the place and they saw, wow, weekends without mulching and yard work. You know, a, a place that is going to allow me to do more living in my life. And, and they saw it and they experienced it and said, that's what I want. Or it might work in reverse. Maybe you want more land and you want more of that. And he's like, but before you pull the cord and make the move, you've got to go see it. And then you see it and you say, that's the life I want. Hours on a tractor every weekend or whatever it is. <laughs> and, and you say, I, I want that. And, and, but it doesn't become real and, it, it, and you can't get there until you've created that compelling vision. Uh, human brains were designed to create what we visualize. This is, this is again why CEOs love mission statements. Mission statements and purpose statements, they, they make the preferable vision for the future real. I think God calls us to that. It's why NBA stars visualize shooting baskets. It's, it's, it's why you've got to see it. It's why there's such thing as vision boards to, to help you, us create it and move toward it. It's why musicians think about finishing that concerto and, and they, they visualize how that's going to feel after they've mastered that technique that means that they've got to get it out in the practice room or you've got to run those wind sprints, which are just detestable to run, but it's like, I want you to get to the point where you're not winded at the end of the game. And, and, and you create that, that visible future, the you that was meant to be. And, and the odds are there's often two incompatible desires at work in us and we've got to, we want to hang on to the one that really is preferable. And to do that, we've got to make it compelling. We've got to make it concrete. We've got to make it urgent. We've got to make it concrete by putting it on audio. And then finally, and this is what Jesus does for us, we've got to make it beautiful. We've got to see the beauty of it. And here's what is so glorious about Jesus, that he does it in two ways. First of all, he makes our dysfunction and sin and rebellion ugly. And the way he does that is that when we understand that there really are no small sins, every sin is an attack at the vital center of who we are and how we reflect, image, and enjoy God. It attacks it. And when we see at the cross that Jesus actually, our sins are like nails to nail him there. They are what Jesus came to rescue us from. They are what he died for. And, and so we can start to see that sin, that petty lust that maybe no one knows about. But it's like, that's something Christ went to the cross for. Um, that uh, irritability or that sharpness in tone that we bring out to the one we love and say, that's what Christ died for. That is something that is ugly enough and hideous enough and such a distortion of who God made you to be. Our problem with sin is we don't hate it. And the cross of Christ is the instrument to say, how can we still be in love with that which, which took the object of our love to the cross and caused him to submit to a legalized instrument of brutal torture, the crucifixion? 
And so he does it on that side, but then the other side, the resurrection, the ascension of our life, who we are meant to be, how we are meant um, to be restored and redeemed is the beauty on the other side. It's how when we greet one another, C.S. Lewis said, when we greet one another in the future, what we are becoming is an object so glorious that if we were to encounter it now, even a glimpse of it, we would fall on our faces and be tempted to worship that image of just another one like us who's fallen. We're gonna be so gloriously restored. And so what God has for us, the reason he brings these things up in conversation, the reason he wants the consequences to be concrete is not because he wants us to run around feeling bad about ourselves, but because he has so much more for us. He has so much more for us than to live in those broken situations. And so urgency, a preferable vision that's concrete, more concrete than the comfortable situation that we've allowed ourselves to make a faulty truce with, and the beauty of what Jesus has for us is where he wants us to be. So I want to apply this quickly in two ways. First, to ourselves where we have been foolish. Where can we soften our hearts and open our ears to hear those voices and to hear those consequences and to see the urgency, the concrete nature of that better vision and the beauty of it? It may be a habit or a hang-up or a place that we have just allowed ourselves to fall into. And Christ says, I have so much more for you than this. And then second, as instruments who've received that in humility, where are the relationships that we have been treating as if everybody's functioning in a wise and fully functional way that we need to adopt God's strategy? Where we've just been having the conversation again and again and again, and we need to say, hey, that conversation's not fruitful. I need to, even we might say, help me know how to make this come home to you, but I'm done having the same old conversation. We're not gonna keep doing that because I love you too much and I love what our relationship can be and I love what you can be in this. And so no more of these, this old running around the same racetrack and just doing laps around futility. We're gonna do something new. And that's not because you're limiting love for that person. It's because you are loving that person well. And that kind of love is going to, it, it has the opportunity to really succeed and to bring definition. It may bring a necessary ending if they decide to end it. And, and if so, you continue to love that person. But you don't just run the same futile lap because that's what, that's what God has for us. He calls us into the fullness of that. And he calls us to an open-hearted eagerness to embrace with urgency and with clarity of that preferable future and with delight in the beauty of it for us and for others. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of love and that it's not just a sentimental, feel-good, squishy kind of feeling, but that it has, it has definition. Thank you that you love us that way. Lord, thank you that your love calls us to a solid and beautiful future. And so we pray on both of those challenges where we've been foolish, Lord, bring a wisdom that comes all the way home to transformation. And where we've engaged in relationships that just have been running the same track, the same conversations, and it's just making us tie to a whole foolish way of life. Lord, grant us the courage and the wisdom to be your instruments in that. 
Lord, use this closing song and this time just to drive home these truths to us to make us who you want us to be in Jesus' name. Amen.